Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, TraumaCast series. I'm your host, Dr. Babak Sarani, Associate Professor of Surgery at the George Washington University Hospital. This session is being recorded at the second annual John P. Pryor Memorial Pen Track Meeting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Joining us today are Drs. Bill Schwab and Edward Stemmler. Dr. Schwab is a professor of surgery at the University of Pennsylvania and founded the Trauma Center at Penn in 1986. In addition to serving in numerous national leadership positions, Dr. Stemmler is Professor Emeritus of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania and served as Dean of the Penn School of Medicine from 1975 to 1988. These two individuals have a unique perspective on establishing a trauma center. Today, we will discuss motivating factors, resources needed, financial implications, and other aspects to establishing a trauma center. I'd like to thank you both for joining us today. If I may start with you, Dr. Stemmler. Having just recently revamped a trauma center, um, I have gained personal knowledge of the enormous difficulties that can be encountered. So let me start by asking you, um, what motivated you as dean to even want to do this? And what were some of the challenges you faced in selling this idea of starting a trauma center? Well, I'm going to have to give you a history lesson. As I look at all the young faces in this room, I, I want to say up front, you would not have existed except for that era back in the early 80s or so, because there weren't trauma centers, at least not very many in the United States. When I was an intern, before most of you were born, uh, it was the interns who manned the emergency departments. And that was always an attraction for interns. Well, we were going to take full responsibility for what happened. Well, as you can imagine, it became over time realized the, the inequality of care that was provided in the emergency departments of most hospitals. Uh, you know, we had the, 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 the then that era, of course, we had the Korean War, in which I participated, and then Vietnam. And all during those periods, we learned more and more the value of having professionalism responsible for emergency services. And at the University of Pennsylvania, for example, I think the first full-time physician to staff the emergency department there preceded Bill Schwab. And that individual was part-time. And then he was followed by a full-time person and there were so many counter-arguments by the Department of Surgery. You know, why did we need a full-time person in the emergency room? All of us are emergency surgeons. And so there was this counterforce at that time that existed. Well, there was then the beginning of the classification of trauma centers. And it was within that context that I learned about this young man sitting next to me here. And and asked Bill to come and let's have a talk, and which he was kind enough to do. And following that one interview, I said to myself, I got the right guy. Now's the time to make the push. So I, I just parenthetically, when you're a dean or someone in charge, you know, you can't do everything. You rely on other people to carry out whatever your intentions might be. I always used to call that, well, I need a good horse to ride. And in this case, I found a horse to ride. So 
uh, I asked Bill whether he would be willing to take the chance, he was then at Cooper, to come and join the University of Pennsylvania and be the pioneer in establishing what would be a grander scale in terms of the quality of, of traumatic services. And he agreed. Now, there wasn't a big cheering section at, in the faculty at that time because there was this attitude, and particularly in surgery, that uh, we're all trauma surgeons. I, I hate to be repetitive, but that was brought back to me during this period of time. But fortunately, uh, sometimes deans have a little leverage that they can use to get things done that we don't like to talk about in public. Uh, but anyhow, uh, using a little bit of that leverage, we decided we would, we would give it a go. We had the agreement, particularly at that time, by Clyde Barker, who was the professor of surgery, who became very supportive of this. Well, I never would have known for sure exactly what ensued following Bill Schwab's leadership. I mean, what you now know as this major national undertaking that's uh, metastasized in so many other areas of the country through the trainees that have been trained here in this program and in other programs. I, just for the purpose of this discussion, I just want to say it wasn't easy. And, and the easiest part for me was to say, hey, Bill, will you do it? And the hardest part was when Dr. Schwab had to go forward and actually make it happen. So I'll, I'll recede there. Well, let me, let me follow up with, those are excellent points. Let me follow up with maybe a few questions to some of the points you raised. Um, I'm going to borrow another phrase from my Washington brethren and say that in many medical schools and many academic centers, the influence of the dean comes more from a bully pulpit stance than perhaps some of the tools that you had at your disposal. This is particularly true in institutions where the medical school, the hospital, and the physician group are disparate. That wasn't the case at Penn, but that is the case in many centers. So how can the dean negotiate? Well, who were the supporters for this uh, endeavor, and why did they support you? Mm. And how did you bring along the detractors? Well, again, I don't want to reveal trade secrets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm reminded just now, I, I just saw the film Lincoln. And uh, uh, those of you who saw the film understand, and those of you who have not seen it, but who might have read uh, Doris Kearns Goodman's book on, you know, a, a team of rivals. Uh, there is the bully pulpit, pulpit, true. And then there are other leverages that one has to use in order to move something along. Um, Abraham Lincoln in this film is so vividly depicted about what he did in his bargaining and not always above the table little tricks. Um, and, and I probably shouldn't say any more than that about deans because otherwise you'll go back and begin to get very suspicious of your own deans. Is that? That's that, sufficient, I think, uh, yes. Were there any doctors who actually supported you? Pardon me? Any of the medical leadership support you? They thought this was uh, a really I, good idea? I was blessed during my particular tenure in having come at a time where there was a, a large change in the leadership. Uh, among the chairman in all disciplines. And when you start afresh with individuals whom you recruited, you tend to have at least a period of time where there's loyalties and that operate in action. So uh, 
Yeah, I, th I think I could say at, that, at the beginning, aside from the, the position of the Department of Surgery in general, I'd say there was uh, a support. And that was very helpful, of course. And so, Dr. Schwab, uh, here you are, a, a fairly uh, young trauma surgeon at Cooper, and you get a phone call from a brand new upstart trauma center in an Ivy League university hospital. Um, what were your thoughts and concerns about trying to create a trauma center? Well, first of all, let me just reflect and say uh, 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 that you can understand just after hearing Dr. Stemmler talk that uh, he could sell ice to Eskimos. But more importantly, you can also understand that he's a man of great vision and great intelligence. Having said that statement, I don't want it to imply that he had great vision in me, but he, he understood the importance of having a renowned institution take a stand and advance in emergency care, very similar to the ways that the University of Pennsylvania had advanced in pathology or radiology or surgery or the various fields of medicine. And I think, again, just history would have to record that of the premier institutions in the United States, the top 10, no matter how you measure, he really deserves the credit, actually, for crossing the line and saying, Penn is going to be a trauma center and is going to develop a full cadre of the clinical, the scholastic, and the research aspects of these fields. And uh, if it wasn't for him, uh, I wouldn't be here. So what did I think about when I got that phone call? Um, I actually uh, uh, thought it, it was going to be either very, very interesting or the shortest set of interviews that I ever had. Um, and what was interesting at that time, I was actually being recruited to go to Stanford to start their trauma center. Uh, and what was fascinating about uh, that was is that they were really ready to do it and they had surgery on board and they had pathology on board and they had radiology on board. I came across the river and I met a number of people, one of which was Dr. Barker, who Dr. Stemmler already uh, met. A very, very dynamic, actually, hospital director who I think, uh, and Dr. Stumbler can correct me, was in an interim position, Dr. Bob Goodwin, who went on and did so many wonderful things, actually, in the field of radiation oncology. Uh, and I was very, very impressed, actually, that they wanted to do it and do it the right way. The last thing that really interested me was, long before I think he even said the words, was the fact that when you looked at the development of trauma centers in the United States, though we had at that time about 19, maybe 20, that were really major players, there was nobody that was at a research one. With the networks into the NIH, with the influence into the federal government, as well as many other very prestigious organizations, the National Academy of Science, et cetera, except the University of Pennsylvania. And the combination of feeling secure that he had explained the risk correctly to me and feeling very elated that I could possibly do this and therefore increase the momentum uh, of the development of the trauma program in the United States, I, I took the chance. And I came here on April the 15th, uh, 1987. And so, uh, Dr. Schwab, you know, as I was um, leaving the University of Pennsylvania to go <clears throat> to my current role, and Pat Riley turned to me and said, you know, I just have one question for you. Um, where are you going to start? 
and I didn't have a good answer for him at the time. I, I do have a good answer for him, I guess, now. But looking back on your role in an upstart trauma center, where did you start? Well, the first thing you have to start with is, is the hospital in the right location, uh, because if they don't get trauma patients, uh, you have to figure out how to get trauma patients. That's number one. Number two is that during your interviews, what you have to do is you have to meet with significant part of the leadership, but you also have to sample the people that are at the bedside. And um, I don't know if Dr. Stumley remembers, but I actually, uh, it took Dr. Barker actually uh, four visits, two of which were two-day visits actually at the University of Pennsylvania. And I asked Dr. Barker and then the Chief Operating Officer, Rosalie Cox, to go ahead and, and not just let me meet with the chairman of radiology, by the way, Stanley Baum, who was very much in favor of this, but let me meet with the people that are actually delivering care at the bedside. And I asked to meet with nursing leadership. And there's two messages here. After you know that the location is correct or you figure out a way that you're going to get the kind of patients that you need to become expert clinicians and you need to be able to teach trauma and you need to be able to do the research, especially the clinical research on trauma patients, what you really have to do is you have to make sure that not necessarily the appointed chairman of surgery or the elected chief of surgery or the nurse manager of this unit, but you need to know that the thought leaders and what I think are the moral ethical leaders of the medical and the nursing staff are behind it. And I will tell you that the thing that I've always found in all the trauma centers or the consultation that I've done is the nurses are the best patient advocates in our whole system. I never have to worry about that. And it really, my job initially was always to sample the medical staff, and again, Dr. Stemler applied this, and to find the reason that people wanted to be allies or the reason they thought they were against it. And I use that sentence and pick those words because many people just don't understand that which they're against. And last but not least, with some really phenomenal planning, the University of Pennsylvania listened to my concerns, listened to what I thought were the tools we needed to put into place. And what we did is we really struggled uh, in the planning stage and then in the first three or four years is to make sure that resources, which by the way in the late 1980s were really tight, but resources weren't taken away from other departments or other programs in order to establish this. And Dr. Stemler may remember, everybody thought the first Star, the first helicopter, is that was gonna rob everybody else, including pathology and clinical pathology and including radiology. They all thought that that $10 million helicopter, it didn't cost $10 million, but that $10 million helicopter was going to take away the second CT scan and the new MR scan and the angiographic suite that everybody wanted. But I must admit, with Drs. Goodman and Stemmler, et cetera, the, the resources were properly allocated and given to us so we can mm. start. Yeah, I want to comment on the resource side of it because I can remember one of the big obstacles, and, and Dr. Serrani, you're going to face, or have, or have already faced it in the DC was the concept that pen would become the knife and gun receptacle, that we'd be dealing strictly with the urban trauma and not have anything to do with anything else. Well, 
Bill's vision, which changed that from have a, a much broader reach, dealt with that issue. So the financial people had to be involved too, where you had to look at this was not just going to be a financial drain if we invest in this program, but was actually an opportunity to do something useful that was affordable. I'd like to follow up with something you said, Dr. Schwab, which I think is, uh, you glossed over it, but, but it's critical in your leadership style. You mentioned that many times people don't understand that which they're against. And in fact, you can maybe alter their perception to point out that they are in fact an ally of yours. Can you expand on that? What does that mean? Yeah, I wish I could apply it to the NRA nowadays, but um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that, um, the fact of the matter is, is that when you're a, a chairman or a chief, like every leader, you protect, honor, defend, expand, grow your domain. And largely what many people do is they set up fences or walls around that domain and they're very, very worried that they're going to lose resources or they're going to lose the ability to do their mission. And, and usually it's a reflex when they hear something that it's almost instinctive that they think they're going to lose money. And so what I did is specifically say, and I'll follow up on Dr. Stendler's comments, that the solution is always to show people that, in fact, we're not going to narrow the focus here, but we're going to expand the focus of the clinical practices, and we're going to be able to do more cases, more challenging cases, and these cases are largely in a capitalistic country like the United States, they're going to bring revenue and pay for themselves. And so what Dr. Stemler was implying before is, is that through some very, very enlightened financial people and planners, we actually started to go ahead and analyze admissions to hospitals with injury from various counties and by zip code and look at things like payer history, payer mix, et cetera. We Knew we, had to, we, we knew we were going to be responsible and be good citizens of Philadelphia and take care of any Philadelphian, anybody that lived in the county of Philadelphia that needed care. But we also needed to figure out a way that we could pay for that kind of care because at that time, 30 to 40% of the people in our immediate catchment area and domain in West and Southwest Philadelphia didn't either have insurance that could pay the bill or grossly underpaid the bill. We had to figure out the way a way to make this at least revenue neutral. And that was why I suggested to Dr. Stemler we put the helicopter in place first, let the helicopter work for a year, and then get into the trauma business a year later. And if you go back and look at the history of this, Penn Star flew its first flight in June of 1988. The helicopter went live, I'm sorry, the trauma center went live about nine months later. And it gave us a chance to use the helicopter to go out and at least meet with all the suburban EMS agencies and all the suburban hospitals and say, we're in the game too. And I'll never forget this quote, and I think you approved it, which is all of our data said, and we used the pen and what pen was to this region, 200 years of experience the minute you need it. That was on every one of our brochures and every one of our cards. We also actually told people that we weren't in the business to steal patients, that if they wanted us to send patients or take patients, we would, but we weren't going to fly in and steal mm -hmm. patients, which was a big concern back in those days in the early helicopter war days. 
Amen. <laughs> Um, I just have two more questions for you guys. I'll, I'll take the first with Dr. Schwab. <clears throat> I think uh, most everyone who's ever met you, Dr. Schwab, would agree that one of your most lasting contributions to the field of trauma surgery as a whole rests in those you trained, both as fellows and also as junior faculty who then moved on. What attributes do you look for in recruiting both fellows and faculty members? Well, you know, I, I'll just start with something really funny, and, and again, I'll, I'll, to all of the women in, in, in the audience, I'm going to apologize for this because I don't know the Girl Scout code, but I can tell you what I look for there is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent, and there's a few other things. I look for people that actually really want to do the job. I look for people that actually understand that medicine is a calling, and it's a profession, and it's a commitment to care for all people, no matter race, creed, color, ability to pay, how despondent they are. And I look for a work ethic that never says it's time to go home, but rather a work ethic that says all the work is done, can I go home? And I think I'm being a little bit elaborate in my use of these words because, and I'll just say, that at one of our retreats several years ago, with the faculty, we did a little exercise and we said, in looking at all the fellows that we've had here, all the fellow recruits, how do we sort out those who we pick and who come here with those that we interview but not necessarily give the nod to? And it was a compliment to people, you know their names, Mike Rotundo, Don Cotter, Mike Shapiro, Harry Anderson, Pat Riley. The number one thing that they picked was their work ethic their ability to work, and work not because they had to work, but work because they were called to work. And I think, without a doubt, that's what I look for, and I've always actually thought uh, as the most important attribute. It's matching people. The match is more important than anything. How you make your environment and what the job is with the person to get it done for you. And I've often thought that was a great lesson from Ed Stemmler that I'll never forget. The most gifted NIH researcher may not have been the best person to bring to Penn and make the director of trauma, but some little Navy guy that actually put these things together was not a bad choice. But in all honesty, I think the match is so important. And so when I try to recruit, whether it's faculty or whether it's fellows or whether it's an administrative assistant, it doesn't matter. To me, it's the match as much as the talents that they bring. And so then on a closing note, a question for each of you to take in turn. Well, we'll start with Dr. Stemmler. What advice would you give to a brand new trauma director today? I guess the, um, the best advice I could give is in your searching for people, find another Bill Schwab. <laughs> That's easy, sure. <laughs> So if I could, I think one of the things that many, um, many chairmen and many chiefs, uh, many executives do, and they do poorly, is recruit. I think recruitment is the most important thing you do. And the reason I say that is, is no matter what type of an achiever you are, no matter how hard you work, when you build programs and you build an environment to create and to educate and to train and to teach, you have to surround your trainee and yourself with people that are smarter, better, more equipped, more talented than you are. But I would tell the new trauma director, recruit well. 
Don't ever be afraid if your instinct says, maybe I can tolerate that person for just a few years. That's the wrong person to bring in. You have to be able to work well with people. And when all of the you-know-what hits the fan, when it's just one of those terrible bad days, you want to make sure you're surrounded with somebody you can absolutely trust and you can rely on in the worst of the situation. So I would tell them to recruit well. Well, I think we could continue this conversation for at least another whole day, but in the interest of time, this may be a good time to stop. We've been speaking today with Drs. Bill Schwab and Edward Stemmler regarding creating and establishing a new trauma center. Your insights into challenges faced in the past and those that still face current trauma directors are invaluable, and I would like to thank both of you for taking the time to record this session with us. This concludes another edition of the East TraumaCast. For copyright information and disclaimers, please visit us at east.org. For the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, I'm Dr. Babak Sarani.